We've covered a bunch, and you're generally never a betting man, or at least not on the show. But if you had to wager, and we can we can make this low stakes, when do you think the crypto.com arena will no longer be named as such? And like every everybody everybody in the on the on the planet wants that to happen. I don't think there's anybody that was happy about this change. And Staples was a, in turn in the in the realm of brand like uh, what's it called naming rights like branded arenas like it was a really good one no, nobody has negative thoughts about staples like except like michael scott so <laughs> when yeah so the the like miami dade county somehow got involved in undoing the because the the miami heat uh i actually wasn't aware of this at the time but yeah they that got renamed ftx arena mm-hmm. i don't know what it was before do you off the top of your head not off the top of my head no uh no it was the Amer- good job google oh the american uh, it was airlines the america arena. airline yeah yeah that's right there which is which is confusing yeah. because there's an american airlines arena or well there was and then i think it's american airlines center is the arena in mm-hmm. dallas so not, not center, center and arena not to be confused all i know is that where the dallas cowboys play how about them Cowboys? Mm-hmm. Uh, they play at uh, AT&T Stadium. Stadium. Mm-hmm. And and they... I don't care about football. I don't like football, but I am happy when the, the Cowboys lose. Yeah, as, as everybody. I don't, I don't, I don't care. I don't care. I don't, I don't care that the Bay Area won. Because, uh, again, the Santa Clara 49ers, eh, whatever. But, yeah, so the, my, the FTX arena is now the Miami-Dade arena. So, yeah, when, when, if you had to bet at December... End of Q4, calendar Q4, or whatever the term is, uh, is it still called Crypto.com Arena? Well, so this is where I'm going to get a little nerdy accounting on you, I guess. So I think the deal with the FTX Arena agreement was that FTX was paying annually. And so, you know, because they went bankrupt and weren't going to be making any future payments, that sort of gave... I guess the county a pretty easy avenue to say, well, you're in breach of contract, so we're going to strip your naming rights. I would assume that if crypto.com or whatever it is, like paid for either the entire agreement or at least some portion of it up front, then maybe the name would kind of stick on the arena sort of no matter what ends up happening to the company. So you know, at least for a while. So I guess that's that's the piece of information I feel like I would need to make a, you know, educated guess. Yeah, so that, that does make sense. I'm trying to read this in real time. They paid $700 million for the rights in a 20-year deal. But I'm not... Because, yeah, I would assume that this, you you pay some, like, initial... It's like buying a house. Like you, you pay a down payment and you pay it over time, right? I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't have any data on this that says that. I'm hoping somehow that it goes belly up and that Matt Damon has to personally <laughs> remove the Crypto.com logo from it because fortune favors him. Oh, anyway, that's about it. Also, I didn't know. Uh, actually, I, 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 I'm sure I knew at some point in the past, but uh, I figured it out today. I did not know that the Warriors have a g league team in santa cruz of all places they do mm-hmm. 
I knew they had a G League team, but Santa Cruz is not a place where you think basketball. This, this, they're the Santa Cruz Warriors, aren't they? They are. Mm-hmm. And then that led me, when I Googled that, to find out that the there's the South Bay Lakers. Right. Which I am not familiar. Like, when, you, when I hear South Bay, I, like, when I grew up in, when we both grew up in Orange County, or in Southern California, sorry, OPSEC, um, I had never ter- heard the term South Bay. Yeah, I can't say referring I had to a either. place in, in in Southern California. So that is strange. But I like uh, that the Twitter account of the South Bay Lakers uh, says that they uh, are what does it say? Uh, G League affiliate of the seven uh, seventeen times champions at Lakers. Darn they don't talk right. about how well they do. No, but they, but they <laughs> only mentioned that somebody else is successful, not themselves. So that's fun. Well, I, and they're also not going to be referring to any sort of. Um laker recent success got to lean on that history well can can you give me a 30 second rundown on that because i keep so i when i when i changed my new york times package to include the athletic i left push alerts on and overall theirs are pretty good it's not like the bleacher report or the espn app where you you have to turn that off because there's too much garbage Oh, I should look. I should look into that. I'm I'm about done with Bleacher Report's notifications. Well, okay. because they the Bleacher Report is it's kind of fun. Like I, if I cared more about sports, and not even like in a um, like a betting way. Like that's the thing I really have an uh, like a beef with uh, ESPN about recently is that they're leaning pretty hard into the like not just the score, but um, Bleacher Report is kind of fun in that they. They integrate the the social aspect of it, but I still, yeah, I t- I turned all that crap off. Well, my but the athletic, my, my, my beef with them though is because they're owned by I don't even know what to Turner? call it now Turner Warner Media slash Turner what whatever. Um, uh-huh. They heavily heavily skew towards promoting sports that are happening on their network, and that's mm, yeah. yeah I don't don't love that, and then they also have. Um, a bunch of like silly stuff that they do like they they do this like animated series for both i think both for football and for basketball and whenever new episodes or new seasons of that premiere there's like a million notifications for that all of which i could not care any less about so it it's mm-hmm. it, it's complicated with them because they they do a lot of fun stuff like you said with social but then it's it's just it's littered with basically a bunch of house ads which i don't love yeah, that's fair. And same thing where I, I, I mean, not that Apple cares anymore, but I do wish there was like, it's kind of like Uber where they now, you, you can't turn off notification. I mean, you can, but you would miss like critical ride alerts, but they also just send you trash. Like they just, it's basically just add like pop-up windows on your phone saying, Hey, you haven't taken a ride in a while. Do you want to reconnect with people? Like it's, 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 it's bad, but yeah. Um, but no, but the, but the athletic, it, it's good. I don't know, like, it, it's like I just choose the leagues and the teams I like, and I get timely updates, and I just have it, I have the iOS thing of uh, deliver silently or whatever, so I can just, like, when I pull down a notification center, I can just read nine push alerts twice a day, and I feel like I'm vaguely informed about sports, and that's good enough. Yeah, I should, I should try that. Wait, but what was that related to? I, one, I brought that up for a reason. <laughs> I brought up the athletic for a reason. Oh yeah, yeah. Tell, tell, so what's the? I keep seeing stuff about. So Anthony Davis is out indefinitely, right? Or something came back today, or he he came he, he came isn't back even today. Mm-hmm. But didn't the coach say they're concerned and he's on limited minutes, if not not playing again? 
uh well he no he he's like back back tonight but yes he's on a i think it's like 20 minute restriction which is that's pretty common for when a player's been out for a while gotcha but so the lakers aren't getting any better right i keep i keep seeing stuff about like this trade season is very important to the team but also that it doesn't seem doesn't look good right yeah no they're they're not they're not great <laughs> that's a fair and assessment. they're not gonna be good for a while seems like, that are, are they the giants of the nba um i mean yeah kind of kind of seems that way well but as the giants we don't even have a lebron we don't even have a guy who's good who's just kind of just showing up to work and wondering why <laughs> well the money but <laughs> yeah anyway um okay so you're driving for most of this episode for all that yeah i i i, I put in my eight hours <laughs> um so we'll, we'll go through some follow-up here so we talked a bunch last week about twitter essentially shutting down third-party clients uh, the day after we last recorded, I guess this is from the nineteenth. Um, Google or Google Twitter officially made this a part of their developer agreement, essentially restricting any sort of um, third-party app access, which they sort of weirdly tried to brush away as being like well, a long-standing policy. Even though if you did a, you know compare between the previous version of the terms and this updated one like literally the only thing that changed was this language around restricting third-party apps so not that there was any doubt really the last time we talked that this was what was going on it's now official official and i have you know deleted tweetbot from my mac and from my phone and am and done with twitter so there you go well, but you you downloaded Ivory instead. I, I have not downloaded Ivory. No. I mean, you know um, what? I'm I'm happy that there can be a little you know T word yeah, yeah, yeah. circle Twitter thing. Like that's great. If that's what you want, I'm happy for you. If Darth joined Mastodon and and made that his thing, I would consider figuring out what it would take to follow him there. But that would be about <laughs> it. Well, like you would just do the thing that I do, which is you just have a bookmark, and just every maybe once a week you scroll and you look at the dogs, because yeah, that's that's eighty percent of the experience. Yeah, it checks out. Yeah, the, the the Twitter thing is is bullshit. I mean, we knew it was, and every every developer pointed out like when they were applying to the at Twitter developer account or whatever, uh, like can you point to what rule they're breaking? And no, again, there's just a chicken shit thing where they after the fact were just like, oh yeah, you can't replicate the t- the um core whatever they said the core functionality of their native applications and it's it it was nonsense but it was done in just a really lame way but i mean what 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 else can you literally expect so i do let me let me ask you a peter kafka question we'll we'll get to this later but do you think the unraveling and just kind of cuz it's all going to like even though it's maybe exploding or falling apart faster like based off of which segment of twitter user you follow like i think i think like the technology core community is fragmenting and falling away much faster than like i feel like the sports and like the people who just like go on twitter for pop culture stuff i don't think many of those people are taking like principled stands or care a ton about twitter's ownership other than like looking and just being like lol elon or whatever 
but like it, it's it's all going to go it's, it's similar to the crypto.com arena thing like by the end of the year like twitter's over right like there's going to be enough schisms and stuff where people are just like this is just not fun or useful anymore and it's going to be mostly done right by the end of this year seems maybe a little fast, but yeah, I mean, certain, I mean, certainly, you know, within the next couple of years or so, I would, I would say that's probably what's going to happen. But and I don't know who was saying this, but th- like somebody had a fairly cogent point, which is that, and this goes hand in hand, and we can actually maybe just bump this up now. I, and I, well, I assume you you won't have an opinion about it or won't won't want to spend too much time on it, but that um, the Meta Oversight Board is going to unban the former president. But, like, does that even matter anymore? Like, I feel like kind of with Twitter falling apart and people just maybe just not caring as much, are we just kind of in more of a, like, we're just not not like Web 2.0 is done because that makes it sound like it's an endorsement of crypto. But, like, does this, that era of, like 2010s social media like even though the t-word people are looking for a replacement and they think that's mastodon like i think i like nobody uses facebook proper anymore i don't think a lot of people are going to look to try to find a direct twitter replacement so it's quite possible just that that era of social media is just kind of it's going to flame out once twitter does right I think that's probably right. I mean, one other way to view all of this, which sounds like I'm kind of being charitable to Twitter or, or I'm, I'm kind of dismissing what's currently happening, I, and I don't mean it that way, but I mean, all social media is temporary. I mean, there's there's never been a social mm-hmm. network that's lasted forever or really even lasted for you know, all that significant amount of time. I mean, the the era that we're in now of, you know, Facebook and Twitter is by far and away the longest that that type of service has been relevant. But, you know, in, in the case of Facebook, even, you know, even though there's not Elon Musk involved there, I mean, they're, they're clearly not on the upswing, and it's hard to imagine they ever will be again. And so I think, you know, over a longer time scale, both Facebook and Twitter would have lost a ton of relevance given that's just what happens with social media. But I mean, certainly what's happening now with Musk is dramatically accelerating that and, you know, causing it to happen for different reasons. Yeah, I mean, well, but that's, I guess I would challenge and just say that like the reason Facebook is losing users is is that that incarnation of the social web is dying or people are aging out of it and that's why it's just like boomer memes and misinformation like twitter was kind of that more immediate real time and slightly ephemeral thing so i don't know i I, I just i don't see a logical replacement for twitter that's gonna get that well adopted so as that tire fire burns out it just kind of yeah i'm not i'm not sure not sure i'm not sure it's gonna have an immediate replacement and like it's stuff's just gonna be i guess maybe you're gonna have important follows on instagram or 
the if you're on TikTok, God help you. Like this, that's another thing. I don't know. Have you ever heard of Be Real? Maybe, maybe, maybe people will get their election info on that. I don't know. I I I I have heard of that. Yeah, I have my my cousin's kids are now. Wait, you're not like, on Be Real. Are no, you? no, no. I'm not even on TikTok. But no, my my cousin's kids are all now. A little bit older, like they're all kind of like getting into like the middle school, early high school age. So, you know, visiting them during the holidays is that's that's my kind of, you know, annual check in of, you know, what are what are all the young people doing that I'm no longer uh, hip to and be real was what I was told was one of the, the kind of the new the new things this year. Do you know what the premise of be real is? It's something like like what what do, what do you do with it? You like what is what does a post on B roll look like? I had to have my I had to have my cousin's daughter explain this to me like two or three times. It 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 you it's like you have to like you get like randomly selected or something at like a random time to take like a short little video of yourself and you're supposed uh-huh. to just accurately represent what it is you're actually doing at that moment and then that clip gets sent around to people who follow you i guess and then that, that it just kind of mm-hmm. goes around from there is that about right mm-hmm. mostly so yeah you you get randomly tagged and you i think you have to post within like a minute of receiving the notification otherwise you don't get to see your friends updates and the other part of it is that it uses the front and back camera simultaneously mm. so you have to show what you're in front of and what you look like like it sounds like hell but <laughs> <laughs> it the, really does. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, it's it's kind of the worst. Um, but the only reason I know about it is because I do follow uh, our alma mater at UC Santa Barbara on Instagram, and they had a a be real challenge, and I was like, what the fuck is? It? And then I had to learn about what it was, and mm. and then seeing what young people are up to just kind of it just bums you out. It doesn't it's not that they're doing anything bad. It's just a what are you doing? Right. Um. Yeah. I mean, I guess. With like maybe final thought on the Twitter thing for me personally, I mean, in in addition to missing Darth, of course, which is the most important thing. The the second thing for me, which really was my uh, main other use of Twitter, was when there was breaking news that I you know wanted to follow really closely, or which I wanted to get you know the kind of immediate reaction of you know a few people that I follow and enjoy. I don't I don't have that anymore really. Um and you know, I mean obviously with just keeping up with, you know, major news publications and a couple of other select websites, you can, you know, stay pretty close to the news. Um and I'm still, you know, kind of an old school RSS user as well. So that, you know, that also does a good job of keeping me informed. It's just not quite as immediate as as twitter was which again for certain kind of breaking news or high interest stories is useful and i enjoyed but i don't know at the same time maybe it's not the worst thing in the world for me to not obsessively follow (laughs) certain news the way that i did on twitter so i don't know maybe it's something i miss but maybe that's for the best I think that's fair. You, you, <clears throat> you've aged out of it to a degree, but also, I guess maybe you've grown wiser in that in that that immediacy, like just getting caught up in the in the rat race, is actually just not that beneficial. Like it's a young person's game, right? Or journalists who are, you know, running out the clock or whatever, right? 
Um, all right. Uh, do, 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 do you want to talk about? Well, let's let's let's. Um, what is this MLB thing? Yeah, let's because we're gonna talk about Apple for a while. So, two things with this. So, there was a thing. Oh, it was, it was the same guy. That's why you you mentioned that. Right. Okay. So there, there's a rumor, or not a rumor, but the, there was an observation by um, a journalist named John Orand. I think his name is. Um, that the MLB hired somebody who previously worked for I don't know who, but one of the one of the big cable companies or one of the big regional sports networks, and it seems like that hire uh, is suggesting that MLB might be looking to just market a over the top of a video product directly to consumers and maybe be considering unwinding like their biggest revenue source, which is these, well, actually do teams negotiate directly with the RSNs or do they negotiate through MLB to the teams? Do you know? I think the teams directly negotiate with the local broadcasters. But I'm sure MLB gets a cut or something. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I guess the way it works technically probably is that the, the league at the end of the day owns all the rights, including local rights, but then they sort of outsource the selling ability of those local rights to the teams. And then, yeah, you're probably right there. I'm sure there's maybe some cut then that the, the league gets or whatever. I mean, because otherwise this, this would make no sense, in which case that they like, how can they sell something they don't actually own or have the ability to, but right. like that's, that's, that's been the whole thing of kind of like with the MLS and Apple and kind of to a degree, the Sunday ticket thing is just kind of where do you, where does the ability to watch your favorite team end up going in an increasingly streaming era? And yeah, I don't know. This, this seems interesting that this hire makes it plausible that major league baseball is considering just doing something much more straightforward. Cause right now, if you don't want to subscribe to cable, and you live in the market that your team likes, you like that, or of the team that you like, you just kind of don't really have any options. Yeah, yeah that, that's all part of the story. But the kind of the, the big part of both the Sports Business Journal article, which will be in the notes, and an episode of the Recode Media podcast, which uh, John Orend was on as well, which maybe we'll talk about. Um, mm-hmm. the The big thing, the big beat that he's on is that. These regional sports networks, which teams sell their local broadcasting rights to, are basically falling apart. And the reason for that is kind of simple. Like they're they're built on a model that, you know, basically assumes a certain number of cable subscribers and it sort of assumes that that number, you know, goes up over time. And then of course, you know, they um have these cable distributors, you know, purchase the rights to carry their network, you know, on their on their cable networks and, you know, that's that's how they make money. But, you know, as of course we know and as becoming, you know, more and more uh, commonplace now or well-known, cable subscriber numbers are are going the other direction. They're they're going down. And so, you know, these regional sports networks, like kind of said a different way, are essentially built on this model that requires, you know, 
essentially the, the channels to be sort of like subsidized where you have a bunch of people subscribing to cable who don't even necessarily watch sports, but who are essentially, you know, kind of paying into the system that, you know, keeps these networks running <laughs> and allows them to buy their local team's rights. And Wait, is our RSNs healthcare? <laughs> no, I mean, is is that basically it's, like no? That, it's not. It's not a bad analogy. Yeah, interesting. Okay, yeah. like, but that so is is so his thesis is that because overall subscriber numbers are shrinking, the amount of people who actually want the content will be unwilling to pay what it actually costs. Is that his deal? It, it, exactly. So he talked about this, I think, on the the Recode Media podcast, where we're sort of headed towards this situation where selling local rights to regional sports networks may no longer be an option at some point because these regional sports networks may not be, you know, viable entities anymore given the economics around cable and the declining subscriber numbers. And so, you know, a possible alternative would be to sell these rights directly, which is part of the what's being speculated that Major League Baseball might start doing. But then the challenge there is that if you want to try to earn the same amount of revenue as you did through these regional sports networks, and but you're selling directly to consumers, you're going to be selling to a much smaller number of viewers. You're, you're going to be selling to the viewers who actually were watching the regional sports network without the benefit of it then being subsidized by a bunch of people who didn't watch it. And so you can end up in a situation where you know, you're asking fans to pay you know, I don't know, 150 bucks, 200 bucks a season or something to see their local team, sort of NFL Sunday ticket money. And, you know, that's that's going to be a tough sell. Like, I mean, sure, the really hardcore fans will do it, but is there enough of those people or are there enough fans who say, eh, you know, forget it or eh, I'll, you know, catch my team when they're on a national broadcast or something? And so there's just there's just a lot of questions around what the future of all that looks like. And there, I mean, obviously there's huge ramifications because all of the major sports here in the U.S., you know, a, a primary source of revenue for them, even in some cases, the primary source of revenue are these TV rights. And so, if that's not bringing in the same amount of money, you know, the the whole way that the league operates and salary caps and all kinds of other stuff just kind of get turned on their head. That's yeah. That that makes that all makes sense. But the part that just the the where the data just isn't there is what does the pricing look like? Because it's it's either the idea that you are kind of to go back to the healthcare analogy, you're spreading the costs around a much larger pool of people paying into the system. If you think it's going to be national, or if you're selling stuff a la carte, you're and you're going to somehow arrive at a price where that you like that you get to see maybe national games and but you only get to see the the ones that the league pick uh, that the is MLB a league like but that the MLB gets to pick for you and you get to see all your home all your your team's game but that's what is at $150 you have to find a price that people are actually willing to pay and that's the part where a lot of sports leagues don't have people who are passionate enough to be willing to pay what the league thinks is a fair price well, that's that's the that, that's that's the problem, right? Like, it, it's going to sort of oh, sure, but the, like, but they have to find they have to find an answer to that because, like, you just you can't make it a, a super. It's like the the movie pass thing. Like, if you actually 
charge what the thing is supposed to be, you're just you're going to price yourself out of everybody who is casually interested in the thing. But if you price it at a compelling price, everybody's going to use it, and that's you're going to lose money on the deal. And also, who who produces the games? Who because like right now, it doesn't Comcast like for for whatever NBC NBC Sports Bay Area? Don't they pay for the production of the games? Honestly? I mean, they do, but I think production's a <laughs> very small problem in what is otherwise a much bigger problem these leaks those... are potentially facing. Yeah, those Sony mirrorless cameras aren't cheap. <laughs> that's, that's more um, of a football joke, but... <laughs> um, I mean, this is, you know, this isn't really just sports either, right? I mean, this is this is media in general, where I think what all of these production companies and distributors are realizing is that it's not going to be possible to replicate the economics of the, you know, the, the traditional cable bundle. Like that's just not, it's not going to be possible. And so I think there's this very slow realization that that model is falling apart and it isn't going to be able to be replicated. So mm-hmm. the idea, the idea of trying to continue bringing in increasing amounts of tv rights revenue um is just kind of going to be a fool's errand for for sports and for almost all kinds of media so and here's the thing that makes me upset is that are we basically always going to just be for the next five to ten years saying that david zaslav is always right because he kind of again like he he's he's like he's he's the devil like he's the one like killing everything that you like and bringing but yeah it is unsustainable and that's the part about bob Iger's return to disney that i always feel is just so disingenuous and just like a pile of crap which is that he was like chapek was given the marching orders of hey go get a fuck ton of subscribers pay a bunch for content and we'll we're we're in this land this gold rush period and we'll figure out later and all of a sudden everybody now cares about profitability and he's the scapegoat like that's not no, like that's when things start costing with the like same thing with the rideshare. Like, just ever, literally, this was the entire 2010s, so like, where just all of a sudden tech now has to make money and everybody's like, oh, well, what is this? Like, yeah, that, that, that is for media, that's going to be tricky, but I think sports in particular, just no other than like the weird market position that the NFL in particular has nobody's going to want to pay for what sports actually costs. Right. And I, I don't know because it's one of the things where you have to like, you have to force an industry to understand, like you have to convince somebody to understand a fact that their entire, what's, what's the thing. There's that expression in business. Sorry, that had no context. The thing where <laughs> you're, somebody's job relies on not understanding job, not understanding. There's an aphorism. Ask, can't you ask chat GPT or whatever? No, it's... Relies on not understanding. It's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it. Mm. Yeah. So it's, it's that one, which is just like, just nobody is... Everybody's just want to keep kicking the can down the road and thinking that, hey... Everything else is overvalued, but this one thing that I own or that I produce is what actually people should be paying for. And that was the whole brilliance of the cable bundle, which, again, we're approaching a thing where we've we've been talking about, like, 
I I will I will take the L on saying that I didn't think cord cutting was as much of a thing as it actually turned out to be. But we have been very ideologically consistent over a very long time in that when things go a la carte and streaming became a thing, you're you're eventually going to eclipse how much you were paying for cable and people are going to be wanting to bundle again. Like, but we're we're at this weird point where how does that work for sports because we're in this like really really dumb silly season of like just if you like want to know when i'm trying to think of a of an nfl team that's not the 49ers when the kansas city chiefs are playing it might be on facebook for some reason it might be on paramount plus which what even is that should that exist probably not like it's so hard to know where anything is so like we're like yeah it's going to be a, a messy few years and maybe by 2030 people will understand the sports aren't actually that important i don't know it, it's 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 going to be a challenge well I, I thought what was really fascinating which um john oren brought up on that recode oh. media podcast was that the thursday night football game viewership numbers on amazon this season were like 40 percent lower than when those games were shown on fox and the nfl network which is where they had previously been and you know there, there's some ways you can spin the numbers where if amazon was reaching a younger um you know more sort of advertiser um focused demographic and so it's not a direct like apples to apples comparison but you know one of the things that's really important in which i guess the nfl in particular values is this kind of the idea of reach where you always want to make sure that you're growing your audience and that you're you're reaching as many people as you possibly can and we're still at this this part with streaming media where you know more and more people are getting comfortable with it and, I, and i'm with you i think it's it's all happened faster than i would have guessed it would have but we're still not at the point where you know your grandparents or like even you know your parents in some cases are good you, like, what, what do you mean i got to download this what prime prime what prime video app and stream it there and i got to ensure in, my what credentials like it it's it's we're, not, we're at a point where that's i mean it's, it's just not nearly as easy as hitting the power button on your tv remote and having the cable box and your tv turn on you, you enter channel 707 or whatever and the game comes on um, and that's you know that that's in addition to the cost stuff that's the other really big hurdle with streaming media is it's just not as easy to use as a traditional you know well, cable or satellite connection is and, and not to belabor the point or extend this conversation longer because we should move on but the but this this is spoken as like people who live in major metro areas that actually have fast internet that what happens if you want to watch, watch like like rural broadband fucking sucks mm -hmm. still no matter no matter how much again cable com like cable companies sell companies some people want to want to keep moving the eh, use a football analogy moving the goalposts on what broadband actually is but like yeah not even the do you have amazon prime but do you have an are you somebody who has to use are you do you know what HughesNet is no if you live in the middle of nowhere and you have no other options there's a service that's uh it's run by like direct tv or dish network and you can get internet over satellite and latency <clears throat> the latency is literally like over a second each way and the speeds are terrible and for a lot of the country 
that's your only option for high-speed internet. Otherwise, you can <clears throat> have a cellular plan and have like 15 gigs of high-speed hotspot, and then you happen to blow that on two football games. Like, it's, it's yeah, I don't know. It sucks. <laughs> it's it's going to be a mess. But to, to get, leave this on a positive note, I'm proud and happy that I finally... So Recode Media was kind of one of those podcasts I really liked but kind of forgot about and it was it was it it was something that always occurred to me when i was like on road trips or had like was stuck in traffic like it was it was that it was always that podcast that was like the understudy but like it's such a good podcast and peter kafka is so such a great interview interviewer and has such a like a broad knowledge base like no every episode is perfect and i'm i'm glad i'm glad i finally got you on board with listening to it regularly like there's even like there was some interview with some guy who was talking about a, a TV show that I have zero interest in watching, but it was oh, still the, a the conversation. Yeah, mm-hmm. I never want to see a single frame of that show, but but I, it was an interesting conversation, and I did not know that that guy was uh was Ted Cruz's roommate <laughs> or Marco Rubio's roommate. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, but no, but like but like every, three out of every four episodes are like a must listen, and like all of them should be listened to, but like it's just. Yeah, like there's, you're always gonna get a, you're gonna take away something that's super interesting, and you're gonna, you're gonna have learned something, and yeah, great show. It, it's a really good show. So smart, so succinct. I mean, that that's what's great about it is yeah. it's, it's, it's. There's like, not, there's like not a wasted words. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. Yeah, yeah um, and the, uh, the mailbag episode or the listener question one recently was also very, very good. It's a good intro episode. Yeah, good, good, good stuff. Um. Yeah, I guess you know. To it's my turn now to try to remember a um, business analogy that I can't quite remember word for word. Like it's about sure. bankruptcy, where it's like it happens slowly and then suddenly, something like that. Mm-hmm. I I feel mm-hmm. like that's that might be where these sports leagues are. I mean, well, football is a little different, but but the the other three leagues here in the U.S. in particular. I think are kind of in that position where like none none of this is going to collapse tomorrow or next month or like really even in the next few years probably but like it's going to happen and then when it does like it it's it's going to happen I think pretty fast I mean because that's the other thing about these regional sports networks is it's not like there's dozens of them <laughs> that are competing with each other or something like there's really just a couple that basically like a couple, you know, conglomerates that sort of own everything. Like there's Bally's and there's Fox and there's, well, and there's, well, and a- there's NBC. And like, I think like those are basically the three. And so even if just one of them, and apparently Bally's is the one that's like really, really Good. in trouble right now. Good. Well, cause that's um, the one that that's where all the, all the Fox sports, uh, regionals when Disney and news Corp did their whole deal. But the part that bugs me is that that one like has like the inherent premise of being like gambling based, and yeah, that's the one that's doing the worst financially. Great, yeah. But also going back to your quote real quick, the the quote is at first you go bankrupt slowly and then all at once. And that, I think yeah. that, again, that also that goes to the social media thing, but it absolutely will go to sports as well. Yeah, yeah. One, well, I and I it sort of, sort of streaming media in general. Like I think, I mean, we're already kind of seeing it where there's this realization that like wait, we're losing how much money every quarter on this stuff and we're not planning on turning a profit for how many years or wait, we're never scheduled to be profitable? Like there's kind of this this realization that the the economics don't add up. Like Disney Plus is not, you know, 
ten ninety nine a month or or whatever you know it's it still is. Um, but you know if you if you raise if everybody raises their price to what this content is actually worth selling it directly, all of a sudden it becomes too expensive um, than most consumers want to pay, and and then then what happens? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and uh, Jay Powell is the reason for all of it. Yeah, <laughs> like that's that's the like it's just it's so weird where us all of a sudden like the these priors about how yeah just spend 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 and everything will be fine, where just money being slightly more expensive suddenly changes all that. Like I I guess like I I don't understand the premise that everybody was operating on in trying to compete with Netflix. Well, and if, the thing, if I recall, thing where it seems Carlos, like Amazon we were and in Apple kind of macroeconomics together. Like, I, 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 don't I recall know, it not being either of our strongest subjects. So. Oh, totally. Yeah. All right. Uh, neither are business aphorisms and uh, quotes. <laughs> Evidently. All right. All right. Um, let's talk. Well, actually, it was super, super fast because uh, it's related to this. So Netflix, so just throw a link in the show notes. So uh, Ben Thompson in Stratechery had an interesting uh, assessment of kind of Netflix and the current state of streaming. And basically the takeaway that he has is that uh, Netflix is a pretty, it's in a pretty good spot, mostly because like, so underlying the entire conversation we've had, excluding sports, is that so much of the streaming media content production gold rush has been paid for through debt and netflix has the most favorable borrowing strategy like most almost all the debt that they had was when money was insanely cheap and they have less debt than everybody else so they can choose to refine they have the runway to refine their strategy make strategic cost cutting where they need to where paramount plus which uh, wait, what did he, um, he had a good, um, oh yeah. So, duh, 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 duh. uh, Warner brothers discovery and Disney are almost certainly pot committed to streaming, but Warner brothers in, uh, discovery in particular has talked about the importance of profitability and Disney just brought Bob Iger back after massive streaming losses helped doom his predecessor, nay successor. Uh, duh, duh. and meanwhile, it's not clear to me why Paramount plus or Peacock exist. Perhaps they will not soon, sooner rather than later. Which kind of makes sense. Like, I, I, I legitimately don't understand what Viacom slash CBS. I don't know why they ever think that Paramount Plus will be a thing people pay for. Like Peacock, I kind of get, just because Comcast owns so much stuff and it, like, they could make no originals and probably still have an audience, kind of. But yeah, Paramount Plus makes no sense. But anyway, the gist of it, it's, it's a good read about why Netflix's road to tightening its belt is it's going to be much easier than it is for anybody else. So is where all this is headed is instead of paying $80 for a single cable subscription to like Comcast or whoever your local cable provider is, we're just going to basically pay 130. We're just going to pay to, yeah, to like people. $45 to like the two different streaming services that everything gets consolidated back under. And so we're going to end up paying slightly more a month for what is in some ways a better experience, but in a lot of ways is also a worse experience. That is literally the 
the the thesis of this show for the past decade. Yeah. Like no, it's 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 that we're reforming the cable bundle in a shittier way. It it's, like and that's the thing. It, we're we're no, go ahead. I just say it, it's it's one of the other things with this whole streaming setup that I'm thinking more and more about is actually less about the economics and more about the experience where there are so many parts of it that that are just awesome. Like, I mean, the idea that you can basically stream any new movie or TV show in 4K HDR with Dolby Atmos and have that, you know, again, assuming you have a good internet connection, having that all just fire up like in a matter of seconds, like that's incredible. But if you want to, you know, switch back and forth be- between a couple of different live sports or live shows or whatever, and and they're on different streaming services, like, good luck doing that. Um, so it's just like, it's, it's like the best of times and the worst of times when it comes to actually watching stuff. And that's a very, like, I, I that'll probably get better over time. But yeah, that that part of it, I'm... I, I'm becoming. I, I just. I'm thinking more about and and becoming more aware of its shortcomings. Like I, I guess for me, like I was sort of you know enamored with the first thing that I said. It's like, oh, this is so great! Like a super high quality video that you can just like get right away. But then, like the more you use it, the more you realize, like, oh yeah, like my regular cable box actually did have some advantages over the way it works now. Hmm. All right, Apple stuff. Uh, MacBooks or VR? Uh, let, let's let's do the the Mac stuff since that's kind of some some follow up. So I'm I'm gonna drop the um, reviews for the Mac Mini or the the Mac Studio <laughs> Junior as it's being kind of lovingly referred to, and the new MacBook Pros in the notes, both from Six Colors, um, and then I'll put another link in the notes, which was a. Macworld article that Jason wrote um, going into some of the the technical details of the M2 Pro and M2 Max. Um, and it, it's it's actually, it's that last article I kind of want to key in on since I, I don't think there's anything super interesting necessarily in, in the reviews that have come out about the new hardware. But the, some of the commentary around the the M2 and, and more specifically the M2 Pro and Max, I think is is interesting, which Jason gets into a little bit in this Macworld article. And has also talked a bunch about on on upgrade and the six colors subscriber podcast, which I think is really interesting. And that's, I mean, and this has been kind of true for a while with computer hardware, but is becoming way more so the case with Apple Silicon, which is most modern processors and and the you know kind of the M generation of Apple Silicon processors in particular are so much more powerful than what like 98% of consumers need especially when you get into like the M2 Pro and Max and so it it puts Apple kind of in this interesting position where you know this you know the M2 generation of chips represents their first you know obviously like new cycle of Apple silicon chips and so, you know, one of the obvious things to do when you come out with a new generation of processors is say, well, you know, this is 20% faster than the previous generation, which is kind of exactly, you know, what they've been talking about with the the M2 compared to the M1. But when the M1 was already so much more than what the vast, vast majority of people need, like, what is 20% faster than that? Like, what what does that really mean? 
to anybody. And so I guess what's interesting about that is it really does seem to put Apple in a position where they're not just going to be able to innovate on the speed of Apple Silicon, but they're also going to need to innovate on the features that their Mac hardware offers. And I, I, th- I think maybe that's where we get into having something like a touchscreen Mac becoming more possible because, you know, thinking a few years out to an M4 or 5 or whatever, like, I mean, yes, we're always going to want more computing power and like, yeah, that that's great. But all of this stuff is already so much more than what most people need that that's not going to like speed isn't what's necessarily going to sell max in the future. It's going to be features. And I, 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 I had never thought about it that way before. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So that, that, that all makes sense. And it's kind of, it is, it, it's, it's ultimately a question of like how many people already upgraded and how, how does, how does Apple continue to market against people upgrading from Intel Max where the changes are still incredibly dramatic versus people who are already on Apple Silicon. And because you don't want to undersell the value of an M2 processor or, or, or what have you, because the like very few people are going to be doing 12 to 18 month upgrade cycles. Like even, even me, like I buy computers too frequently and I will upgrade a computer every three years at most. So yeah, I mean, like it, it is challenging to try to how you differentiate that, and and I think Jason kind of like has been touching on this a little bit, which is that the M two like the the M regular, the Pro, the old, the Max, and the Ultra. Like there's a there's a lot of there's like there is an Intel level of complexity and um unnecessary complexity around what a processor is capable of that seems kind of unnecessary. And the majority of it is almost entirely GPU based at this point. Like, sure, the I think with the M2s, like the the Pro and the I don't even know if there's an M2 Max yet, but there is. It yeah. has, but it has like an extra two cores now. Like, it's got twelve instead of ten or something, maybe. Oh, but but like, yeah, it seems like a lot of it is basically just oh, this one has thirty six GPU cores, but just like the vast majority, like. I don't think anything I do in Lightroom is accelerated in that way. And like, if, if you, you have to be a very, very specific user for that kind of stuff to matter. And it's going to be increasingly difficult to, to try to communicate what, why this is faster, just because as we've kind of seen in the, um, like the iPhone 14 pro story versus the other ones, like, uh, not that to say they're doing poorly, but like the, big leaps in processing power of the until they a tsmc hits their three nanometer like benchmarks and capacity for production like the improvements in processing power are gonna continue to be very incremental going forward so that's yeah that's that's gonna be kind of an interesting thing of how they continue to sell that but then good because the but the said a different way is that Almost all of the processors, I mean, like, they're all great. Like, even if you, like, I've, I still, I'm never going to use a MacBook Air because I know I'm going to be very upset if I do because it's such a nice, light, lovely computer. And I, but I really need an SD card slot and an HDMI jack. But like, 
a regular old M2 with 8 or 16 gigs of RAM is a very, 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 very good, competent computer. Like, it, it's tough to make a bad choice, but selling those differences and continuing to try to keep up with, like, the megahertz rat race of, like, long ago, like, that's, you got to give people a reason to upgrade, and that's that's going to be tricky. Yeah, and comparing the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro, I think, is is the perfect thing to bring up here because it, it illustrates that Apple's already sort of having to do this where if, you know, the only difference between a MacBook Air and a MacBook Pro was, well, in the MacBook Air, you can only get, you know, the base level M1 or M2 chip. And then in the MacBook Pro, you can get the Pro or the Max chip. Like if that was the only difference, that that's that's not going to be enough to to convince hardly anybody to to upgrade to a MacBook Pro. And so you you need to do other things with that computer to to make it more compelling than a MacBook Air. And then that's exactly what they've done, right? Like it's got a significantly better display. It's got different kinds of ports. It's got, you know, better speakers, etc. And so that's that's the kind of thing that Apple's going to need to continue to to do and and they're, and they're doing, but you know, as Mac hardware continues to move forward, I, I think they're going to have to continue doing more and more of that because the other thing that I think is really interesting is that, and you you just touched on this a minute ago, like, I mean, your Mac Studio with, you you have like the M1, do you, do you have the, the Macs or the Ultra? You have the- I got, I got the really, the expensive dumb one. I have the M1 Ultra. The Ultra, yeah. So like, I mean, that's that's going to be a really, really good, fast computer for a really long time. So, like, if Apple wants you to upgrade, it's probably not going to just be incremental speed improvements that's going to have you do that, like, anytime soon. Like, they're going to have to do something else. And that, I again, like, I, I had never really thought about that before, and I, I just think is really interesting. And, you know, like I said earlier, like, I I do sort of think it makes something like a touchscreen Mac not necessarily a sure thing, but I think it makes it a lot more likely than like before, before I had thought about this or, you know, before I had heard other smart people talk about this. Mm -hmm. The one easy thing they could do is make a better monitor. Cause this monitor sucks. <laughs> the studio, no, like it, it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still six months or a year later. I'm I'm still so mad. This, this well, it's, it's, it sounds like they're, they're, like all the rumors are pointing to there being some display that basically sounds like it's something in between like the current studio display and the pro display XDR. So like if that but that was a slightly nicer screen with a way better webcam, like it seems like that would that would be a, for how for how much money? Well, that's like <laughs> that's going to be the the tough part, yeah. So I'm sorry, so so making a monitor with a webcam that's not the quality of a potato. And that like it, this, this monitor sucks. Oh my God. Like th th they, they used to sell an iMac with this exact same screen that is cheaper than this monitor. I don't, I don't even have the one with the nice stand. Cause I cheaped out on that. And like th this, uh, it's such a trash monitor anyway, but going back to the, um, ugh, I'm mad. So, but the, the Mac stuff. So yes, yeah, so the Mac Pro, like, again, it's, it's fine. Like it's to be very incremental. Like that's great. The one nice part about um, being decoupled from Intel is that it feels like the um, the processor updates will be more regular, 
and hopefully and like honestly i think apple should probably lean into this which is just that like yeah it's it's like it doesn't have they don't have to pretend it's a big deal like just hey this like we have a faster processor it's now in there it's not somehow going to change the world it's just it's better than last year's but we're not you're not you're not going to have to wait 2 years for intel's kb lake whatever the like just like like it's just it, if it's faster it's it's available to purchase great um but yeah so the macbook pro i mean meh whatever um the more interesting story out of these new computers to me was the mac mini and it's because like, I kind of I think I feel like in this this is maybe this is I'm a I'm I'm super defensive of my Mac Studio purchase like I don't know like the Mac Mini like it's cool and I do think it fits like there was a good point on upgrade um, I think Mike made the point which is that the the base model Mac Mini that actually took a price drop this generation that's an insanely compelling um, and like bang for your buck computer that Apple sells is kind of amazing. But yeah, the Mac Mini, it can be specced up to kind of rival a Mac Studio, but it also like definitely gets up there in price. And some people are being like, oh, well, does the Mac Studio even need to exist? I mean, yes, it does. But the Mac Mini being a, a more robust computer that can do more is, it's interesting. I, I Like, I don't know. I feel like there may, probably needs to be more differentiation in those product lines but i mean i don't know it's it, it it's neat the mac studio junior for people who want that type of thing it's cool that it's out there i guess yeah well and then actually you know this m2 mac mini generation really does provide a huge range of configurations like i think on upgrade and maybe or maybe it was in dan's six colors review smartly points out that there's there's actually essentially two mac minis now there's the m2 version and then there's the m2 pro version i mean the m2 is the one that you know starts at 599 is and is is basically the computer that almost everybody should buy and it it is actually a really really good value and then there's the m2 pro version which you know starts at significantly more it starts at like 1300 dollars, so more more than twice the price and can be specced up to basically the you know the bottom end of the of the Mac Studio line. And that's you know that that's neat to offer that you know range of um that range of options. And it really like it, it in in a way that I still don't think exists today with with Apple's laptop line. I feel like with their 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 desktop story like could not be any more clear there's you know there's the base mac mini there's the m2 pro mac mini and then you know also stealing this idea from upgrade with the mac studio it's kind of the same story there's the there's the m1 max version and there's the m1 ultra version so it's kind of in the same way as what i just said with the mac mini there's almost like two computers there too and so you've got essentially these you know four computers in two different form factors sort of fit anyone and everyone's needs at a you know pretty fair range of prices so that's you know that's it's neat that they've got their their desktops lined up that way and you know hot like i guess like hot take here like i'm 
even though I don't own any of this stuff, like I actually really think it's smart to to decouple the a desktop machine and the display. Like I've I, I I've kind of not really ever. I mean, I kind of have understood the the appeal of like a high end iMac, but at the same time, like tying your computer well, to the display, I, I I haven't really fully ever gotten that idea, which is which is why I've I've never ended up getting one. And so I think it's I think that's it's smart. That, was, that was the only option. Well, they right, but they, but, like, but if you wanted now, a fast now, desktop that wasn't a Mac, yeah, yeah. But that, that's what I'm saying is they've gotten away from that, and they've they've fully embraced the idea of having all kinds of desktops from the very base level to the super super high end to a machine that's you know way faster than any you know Mac Intel Mac Pro ever was, and having those machines be standalone from a display, like I mean that's that's a pretty solid desktop strategy yeah yeah i mean it, it, to, i mean i guess to round this out like so i the part that's been weird is that people keep citing this overlap on the mac mini and the mac studio but like if you spec them out well so like the, the what you run into limitations on is there's no way to get a mac mini with any of the m2s with more than 32 gigs of ram which for a, a pro-ish desktop is not enough or that's maybe too close for comfort but if you spec them out the same thing the uh five uh 32 gigs of ram five twelve gigs of storage it's a 300 dollars price difference between the two the mac mini is 1700 the mac studio starts out at 2000 so i mean i i get it but i mean the mac studio still has its place because I, I guess the, the reason that i'm not stressing out about it but that i think this is kind of a uh an, a slightly annoying conversation is that there's been many people talking about well then what is is the mac studio like a one and done product and i don't think it is like i don't i actually don't understand why the mac pro is coming back because with the arm like system on a chip architecture it's not going to have the expandability that people want so i guess and also german has been talking about the rumors that there's not going to be wasn't there a name beyond like the m1 ultra like there was gonna be a thing where it was like two M1 Maxes like on the same chip or something. Yeah, but I think like there are. I think his I think his reporting's been that that's one of the things that's been scrapped. That's gone. Yeah. 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 So then, then what what's the point? Like it's 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 not gonna have like a million card slots. So I guess like I just don't I can't really fathom what the Max Pro will have. The studio couldn't just be slightly upgraded to have. So like, yeah, because that, like, people... that's the part where. Yeah. Go. Go ahead. Well, I mean, it's most of the people who are talking about like the Mac Studio being kind of like overkill for what it is, and kind of like not really having a place in a world where the Mac Pro exists and the Mac Mini exists. Like, maybe the Mac Pro shouldn't exist. Not, not that I'm trying to like justify my purchase, but like, I can't imagine wh- what role the Mac Pro fills and what it offers that the Mac Studio doesn't mostly already cover or couldn't be adjusted to cover. Like if if the Mac Studio or the Mac Pro has to like only one of those things can exist, I don't see why the Pro is what. Even though we don't necessarily know what that product is, like why that why people would jump to that conclusion. Yeah, I mean, I think even with the, I mean, clearly something that the Mac Pro will have is some level of of expandability that the Mac Studio doesn't. But I I would sort of even question that in the sense that, I mean, Thunderbolt Four is really freaking fast. So like. There's a lot well, that saying. you can like, plug into a Mac Studio just over Thunderbolt and essentially get kind of the same thing that you would get through 
plugging something into a a card slot. And I mean, I'm sure that with the Mac Pro, there'll be some very particular afterburner cardy kind of things that are technically faster than would be possible over Thunderbolt. But I mean, you're you're really really getting into some weird edge cases there. So yeah, I think I think your your question about how what 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 a Mac Pro is going to do that a Mac Studio doesn't is a is a good one but mostly just like that maybe i i don't have enough inside knowledge about how the sysmonic chip architecture actually works but like it's the same reason why like with what was it stage manager on the m1 ipad pro or whatever like the reason it can't export something or other or it can't support a thunderbolt dock like there there's there's limitations to that system and i just can't imagine how much effort they're going to throw at working around that stuff just to make a, a very expensive expensive computer that very few people are going to buy yeah i don't know I, I i again team team mac studio if only one of them can exist but yeah but yeah, happy i'm happy the mac uh mini got updated i priced it out because of the ram situation on these computers like i can't upgrade my intel one just because i use it to run vms on and i i need ram and I don't. I don't need processing power. I need RAM, and therefore this would be like a two thousand dollar upgrade, and that's just not worth it. Yeah. Um. I guess the the only other thing which I I thought was interesting, which um, Dan does a really nice job in his Mac Mini review of highlighting, um, which you know I and I kind of preface all of this by saying that like none of this really matters because like all these processors are great and are way more than what people need. So this is this is all kind of just basically academic interest but it's it's sort of it's funny to compare like the m2 max to the m1 max or even like the m2 pro to the m1 max where in like for certain tasks you know a a mac mini m2 pro is is actually faster than like a mac studio m1 max like specifically with cpu based tasks both single core and multi-core but then with your gpu that's that's not the case like the 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 m1 max is is clearly faster than the m2 pro so I, i guess what's all interesting about that is that it's it's comparing the current mac mini to the current mac studio is it's 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 not like cut and dry like which one is is better or faster it really comes down to your use case and the way that you prioritize cpu versus gpu and then also i guess what you brought up too like if you have certain ram needs etc um so yeah that just i think i think all that's all that's interesting All right, and then let's round this out super quickly with um, AR, VR stuff. So just to to get this out there, because I actually think this is, a, this is a product that we have not talked about much, if at all, right? Not not a ton, no. Yeah. Do you want to buy this? No, of course not. Like, like well, but, but also to put it in perspective, didn't you buy like an HTC Vive or something? Yeah, like well, that, that's bought, why at some point in time you bought one of these. Yeah, that, that's why I can so definitively say no, as I've <laughs> I've gone down this path before. I've made this mistake before. Like, no, I I'm 
I'm somebody who will pop on a VR headset at a friend's house for like 15 minutes if they have one and play some little demo and then generally start to feel a little queasy and have a little bit of a headache and be like, I don't want to wear this thing anymore, you know, and that's it. So yeah, no Game of Thrones. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, so I I guess so, so, but what made you enter? What was the, and as pretend that it doesn't make you feel sick and that it's not uncomfortable and, and kind of just under delivers on what it's, what it's promising. What is the appeal? Cause you're, I feel like you're much more predisposed to wanting to like this than I am. What, what is the, what's the draw for you? Pretend it was actually good. I mean, I, I suppose the idea of a more immersive media experience is potentially interesting either you know media or games well i'm i'm using the term media to sort of encompass both so the games tv shows and movies like some sort of more immersive experience around those is potentially interesting i guess can you ever imagine a vr product being good enough where you would actually just want to watch a movie through it as opposed to just having a nice tv no i can't okay because that was one of the early H, uh, the Facebook or the, the what was it called the Oculus demos was that you could like watch Netflix in it and it was like you were in a movie theater like it it's not better but I guess like what what is the thing that Apple usually brings to a new uh, to a new product category or like when Apple tends to wait because that's the whole thing like Apple hasn't made a folding phone yet because Apple always waits to make stuff until like it's fully baked and it's good I'm saying that's what people say I'm not saying that's actually true but like I guess like. Yeah, if you were to ignore all the reporting about why this product sounds profoundly mediocre and probably doesn't even need to exist, what could Apple solve about it? Or like, what's 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 that magical thing that they could introduce that makes it a good product? I guess. I mean, it, it's an unsatisfying answer, but like, I, I I don't know because all of the reporting so far has been that they're essentially just going to try and do what these other AR VR headsets have done, but just, you know, in the very kind of stereotypical kind of premium Apple way, you know, having higher quality screens, you know, having really tightly built in services, like all, all that kind of fit and finish stuff that you expect from Apple. But I battery on your belt. (laughs) Well, yeah, we can get to that. Um, but like I like I don't I don't know if that's the like I don't know if that's the problem with current headsets. Like I don't know if I mean like speaking from my like perspective, like thinking about watching a movie using a VR headset. Like I'm sure that the you know the current experience now is like yeah, it's a little more immersive, but like the resolution's like not that great, you know, etc. And we, you know, with Apple's headset, you know, maybe it is going to be like a true like 4K, 8K experience, like whatever. But like, is the fact that it's slightly higher resolution, like, is that, is that what then, you know, changes the equation from saying, no, this isn't better than just watching something on my OLED TV to it being something better? Like, I don't, I don't think so. And so that's. That that's what I'm left scratching my head about is that if Apple's proposition is that we're just taking everything that existing headsets do and just making it slightly better, 
I just I don't think that's compelling at all. But I but I can't I can't envision or think of what new use cases there would be for something like this. So yeah, I I I I, I mean other other than other than this product being like the developer foundation for but, you know AR glasses that are years and years away. No. Like other than that, I just don't know what this product is. Okay, so we're going to circle back to what you said in a sec, but like I guess this was this was the thing that happened when the, when the Apple Watch came out is that everybody wants or expects or demands that everything Apple anytime Apple enter, uh, enters a new product category that it needs to be the next iPhone. So does and, and I'm fleshing out my thinking on this by forcing you to answer questions. Like does Apple does this have to be a is does Apple have the right to introduce a product that isn't good or mass market? I guess do does do they need to make a product that a lot of people want to buy, or does Apple are they allowed to have something be super niche? Like I guess like when they introduce this, are they going to act like, and we think this is great for everybody, and we're just going to ignore the price, or are they going to somehow tee it up and say, I can't imagine Apple ever being on like uh, like Tim like who who actually who would introduce this product? Um, who, who's the who's the guy? John Turnus. I don't he's he's not the processor guy, but like yeah, he like I can't imagine them saying like and this is a product that we think will set us up for the next decade and we understand because of the price most people aren't gonna like I like Apple always, whenever they introduce anything, whether it's air tags or air power, like they they act like everybody in the world needs to buy it and then it's gonna change their lives. I I don't know. Like this is the thing where like I can't imagine them ever being like, this will help developers gear up to create immersive experiences for a thing that'll be ready in three to five. I just, I don't, I can't imagine what this thing's going to look like and why it needs to exist. I mean, because like, unless I mean, the, the only thing I can, I can like, and this is not a perfect analogy. I mean, I'm kind of thinking about it in real time, like kind of like, like the pro display XDR, like in some way where, you know, Apple hadn't been in the monitor game for a little while then they they finally get back into it and like their answer is this six thousand dollar display that has all these features that literally almost nobody needs or could use and like i mean they 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 basically they i mean they didn't couch any of that initial presentation with like oh well yeah we know that this is a very niche kind of monitor that only a few people are going to buy like they framed it as like hey we're getting back to the monitor game here it is but so, I, I, oh, I can't imagine Apple being like, "Here's our VR thing. Everybody else has one. We've got one too." But that, I mean, I think even though I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that that's really, really hard to imagine, especially if you know all the pricing stuff and everything lines up with what the rumors are. But I, but I think that's what we saw with something like the Pro Display XDR, and I, that that's what Apple does. They don't release products acknowledging that they have a very kind of niche audience like they release products saying this is the new best thing in this product category everybody interested in it should buy this one like that that's what they've done and so unless unless they're willing essentially for the first time in their history to reframe the way a new product is introduced then i then i think we're going to get a pro display xdr situation 
may hmm. because but but the entire part like about like a vr experience is like how it actually works so whether or not the heart like that's where and i and again like I'm, you're not required to have the answer but like the pro like that analogy kind of f- falls apart just because like sure like what it sounds like is that the whatever the screens inside the headset are going to be much higher resolution like aren't they supposed to be like 8k like supposed to be like something crazy it's supposed to like be very good but like isn't the thing like this just supposed to be like a- apple's touch is always like how it works and how it's supposed to be like I, and you're not required to be to be the the one to like introducing the product, but like my my same thing is like I just, I can't none of the reporting is suggesting that they have somehow like cracked it like where somehow they have some new ideas on what this is going to be because like and not to go too far in the weeds about tech layoffs and stuff, but like Microsoft has killed like a lot of the teams that were related to all of their AR VR stuff. They have dramatically scaled back the ambition of the hololens product like the oculus quest pro is that the expensive new one that came out like that was almost universally panned as being too expensive and is not and being kind of clunky and not very good so i don't i don't know this this entire product category confounds me because if we step back to the other question which is that like vr versus ar like google glass for being a horribly flawed product that was a decade too early like that's the type of product that actually to me would be something i'd want to buy like i even even if it's like this product was somehow good and apple like i don't want a thing where i'm alone in my living room and i strap on like some gigantic thing to my face where i'm no longer living my real life like that that just has zero appeal to me but ar like something that allows me to experience the real world with added like just like like walking around with a really good phone like that's that's a compelling product to me. VR has nothing for me. Uh, and it feels like, and it feels like you kind of experience the same thing of like, just kind of, this might be fun for video games, but other than that, like, no, it's going to collect dust. And even though each year it's incrementally better, like this isn't changing your life. And now, I mean, you, you've got a family. Like I, I can't, I'm trying to picture a, a time where you have two hours alone to strap on a thing where you're isolated <laughs> from every, literally like they're like no dad dad's in his office <laughs> it's like literally doing everything to not exist with us i don't know other than sing oh i don't don't have me other than single dudes like this is the same this is the same product with like voice assistants where when amazon or somebody make like google home exists they don't ever exist they don't ever make the product for something that's not a single man in the bay area living on his own like they don't acknowledge that other people exist i can't and that's the thing where maybe Apple could, but it doesn't sound like they are, make a product that actually makes this make sense and not like just like this weird solitary activity. And that's where just like them coming out on stage saying, hey, here's this thing, this thing that's two to $3,000. I just don't see it. Like the AR thing, totally. But that's also very, very far in the future. I, I don't know. I, anyway, I guess I guess just this is that I have no interest in this and selfishly I don't care. And it seems like you've given the category a chance and also are more charitable than me, but also kind of don't care. Is that fair? Yeah. And you're bringing up a really, really interesting point, which I I think actually is maybe even becoming the most interesting part about this headset, like way more interesting than, than price and all the kind of nitty gritty technical details and whatever about it. But the idea that 
Apple's releasing a product into a product category that all of the other, you know, players in that space are are kind of realizing that, wait, maybe, maybe this isn't a business we want to be in. Like maybe this isn't a product category that's, that's ready from a, from a tech standpoint yet. And so that, that's interesting. Like Apple getting into a market that others are kind of getting out of. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I mean, unless, uh, unless Apple's got some use case that, you know, none of us are creative, creative enough to think of at the moment, I, I, I don't, I don't see what the purpose of this device is. You can send your heartbeat to somebody. Because <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, I right. mean, every, everybody can see the like, you know, the the far flung future, you know. AR glass thing where you you essentially have your you know the equivalent of like your smartphone display overlaying what you can see in the real world and like having that be kind of like the next you know leap in technology like if you could basically access all the same information that you access today by pulling a phone out of your pocket instead just having that available like in your line of vision like yeah of course like yeah that that it sounds really interesting and it is clearly the kind of an obvious next step for you know mobile computing but that's that's not at all what a ar headset is and so i guess like the question is whether this next step towards something like vr or ar glasses like is that even a step that's worth making a consumer product out of and i i I think apple's competitors have have largely found the answer to be no and so it's it's interesting that apple feels like this is a space that they want to get into like i i don't know like some of the reporting has almost made it sound like which also doesn't sound very apple-y but i i can't help but keep thinking about which is it almost feels like, you know, Apple started developing this thing, you know, obviously years ago, like when these AR, VR headsets were thought of as being kind of the next big thing in tech. And as the years have gone on, companies that have already in the, that are already in the space have realized that, wait, that's actually not the case here. And but like Apple has continued to, you know, build its headset. And like now it's like they're almost at the point where it's like they're 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 too far in to leave now, like the only way out is through kind of thing. So it's like, well But but, we, but we they're sp- they're not the most value valuable company like you did your isn't that remember the when iOS seven came out, there was that whole dumb video where they're like the reason Apple is Apple is that they for every thousand no's there's a yes or some shit like that. Like no, they they can just not you don't have to there's no that's that's the beauty of Apple, allegedly, is that they don't get stuck in the sunk cost fallacy. If, if you end up realizing something sucks, you don't have to you don't have to release it. You have money, like. But it but it's but it kind of sounds like that's what they're going to do here. Like, I mean, the 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 reporting is that this thing is going to have an external battery pack that you put in your pocket. Like that sounds. No, it's going like to. It's going to. It's going to. Uh, it's. They said like some like I think Gurman literally said it's going to be a belt clip. Like, I mean th- that. I mean that. That to me, the target demo of this is not going to be wearing pants. <laughs> that's, a, that's a joke against single dudes. But anyway, um, 
I mean, that, that's, that's, that sounds... Every part of this sounds so unapple-like. That's the part that's crazy. Right. I mean, but, and, and that's the part that sort of really does just sound like, look, we've spent all this money and all this time trying to figure this thing out. We've got something that is like a more premium version of like the other junky stuff that's out there. So let's just ship it. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Like I, the, the, the only, the only thing I could say or kind of think about this product that would try to put it in a positive light or I don't know, put a more optimistic tone around it is I could have never envisioned what the iPhone was going to be before actually seeing an iPhone. Like, and yeah, there were some rumors about Apple coming out with a phone, but like, remember, like a lot of the rumors were like, oh, it's going to be, you know, an iPod that's got a cell radio in it. And, you know, nobody could have imagined what they did with things like the software keyboard and, you know, the mobile web browser. And there, there was all kinds of stuff about the iPhone that, you know, a decade plus later all seems really obvious, but like at the time was not something that, you know, anybody would have thought of. So I, maybe there's those types of things with an AR headset that none of us is thinking of. I mean, I, I like, again, like I, AR, I, sure. Well, or it's so like when that product comes out, but the, but the current, but again, like this, this fundamentally, there's been no, like, do you know what the thing is? Like they said, there's a, it's supposed to be like a dial where you can, like, I guess like people in the room can see you or something like there's gonna be like an external facing screen or something. Cause that, that's the part about VR that's a non-starter to me, which is that it makes you more of like a hermit than you otherwise would be. Like you, you are now in this like literally physically limited world. But isn't there that thing that's supposed to be like a dial on it that allows you to, like, come in and out of VR mode without taking off the headset? Right. I don't know, man. Uh, are you buying one? <laughs> no. Um, but I, yeah. Anyway, I'm I'm not sure there's anything else to say. It's just I I I can't see it. I really hope there's some Apple special sauce that makes it a compelling product. But just fundamentally. It seems like a um, a product category that there is no hint that there has been some big development that makes the fundamental showstoppers about it less of showstoppers. Like like a better phone, like not not being able to realize that the iPhone could be better. Like yes, but. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just, I've never been so unenthusiastic about. It. Like, I, I care more about the HomePod than I do this, and I really don't care about the HomePod. I mean, I mean, look, the, the what I described about the iPhone and the surprise around that was a what like was like like was it, it was it was a once in a generation thing. So the the idea that Apple's going to be able to do that again is not the most likely outcome. Well, but, no, but your point, it like absolutely stands, is because like that's what we expect from Apple, which is that like because if you look at every other non-Apple like smartwatch most of them still suck like there like there is a like a, a polish and like clarity of user interface on the apple watch even though it's kind of a, a muddy product that is way better and your point of kind of nobody knew what the smartphone could be until the iphone because like up until that point like there were some like windows mobile phones that were god awful and you had blackberries and like stuff that like just none of it was good and then people saw that you have this like widescreen video ipod this internet communicator you have like inertial scrolling visual like you had all these things that were so novel 
but it like it so it fundamentally transformed the phone so you you like you're absolutely correct in that part but i'm just not seeing any like what what massive technological leap they are overcoming that would somehow take vr out of its weird gamer zone into something that has like i i guess i can't even though apple has like enough benefit of the doubt to maybe like have like with past successes to make that like leap uh like affordable to them i don't know i just i i i I can't see that ever being the case so i mean yeah i mean to me there's there's basically three possibilities for this thing there there's what we just talked about which is apple actually has you know some iphone sized surprise around it that actually does end up making it a really fascinating kind of product category changing product or it's or they they announce it and basically just pitch it as a more premium version of existing AR VR headset functionality and just say hey look that's that's awesome you know spatial audio 8k video whatever and that that's the story or i guess option 3 is is the other idea that's been kicked around which is basically them framing it as almost like a developer kit and like, hey, this is just kind of the first product in this category. There's going to be lots more to come. So kind of stand by, which, you know, again, like Apple has never, ever done that before in their history. So this would be like literally the first time that they would do something like option number three. But I mean, right. That's like the only three kind of avenues this thing could go down, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, as a car maker, I think they just stick to that. <laughs> All right. Um, very last thing, uh, well, actually two 30 second things. Uh, I saw my second app clip in the real world, um, in three years. Neat. I guess I didn't actually, I didn't need parking at the time, so I didn't actually scan it, but, uh, cool. And then also Google Stadia, Stadia, whatever that, uh, the cloud gaming service that Google had, uh, got shut down. And the one cool thing that they're doing about it is that one, if you bought a Stadia, they also they already refunded the cost of the equipment and don't want the stuff back. But the way it worked, like in my understanding, was that like to reduce latency, the the controller actually connected to the internet directly, but it still had Bluetooth in it. So they're releasing some type of software update that now just makes it a Bluetooth game controller so that you can use it for other stuff, which that seems that's that's pretty cool. I mean, meh. They 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 have handled all of it really well, so I don't want to take anything away from that. Pointing to the Bluetooth thing is a bit of a complicated example because, I mean, these these controllers have always had Bluetooth built into them, and they, they, it was originally only used for kind of the initial setup, and then you're exactly right from there. It just connected to to Wi-Fi. So the the ability for this thing to just be a Bluetooth controller always existed in hardware, but was artificially oh, shut no, off they, they in software. And that this thing should have they been didn't a have Bluetooth. to spend like they, they didn't have to spend any extra developer hours for for a dead product to make that useful. So I guess that that's kind. You, I guess you're, you're right. No, I mean so again, I don't mean to take a, that away, but I guess it shouldn't have been a problem in the first place because this thing should have just been a Bluetooth <laughs> controller from the get go, but. They they yeah. did they handled all of this really well so kudos to them for that yeah and you never bought one right I 
didn't you have an didn't you have an order and then you did you like get cold feet Pre, i know you bought one of those yeah, fucking Oya I, things I, but i, I pre-ordered a google stadia got it on day one did not ever open the box yeah I, I happened to to be this happened to be at the time that we were like kicking off our kitchen remodel and and all that so like well not a great time to be like playing video games so i, I you know didn't open the box for a while read a handful of initial initial reviews and went oh no and then just never opened the box and returned it fair all right chef specials yeah i'm gonna i'll take a pass this week um partially out of um embarrassment over how expensive my pick from last week ended up being i still still can't believe how much more expensive that uh theragun is now compared to to when i got it um you know a year ago so i'll uh i'll take a i'll take a pass on making another too expensive uh recommendation this week there um i will what, what do i have I'm going to make a media pick and this is not wholehearted, but I don't watch a ton of TV shows. Uh, the second, uh, the second season of the white Lotus was watchable. I, I put, put that on the box or on uh, uh, David, David can have on that one for free, but it's, it, it's fine. It's, it's, uh, I'm not sure it's a TV show you would like. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, just cause it's not, it's not like explicitly sex heavy, but it is kind of, a little bit more of that regard but like it's it's an interesting like there's a lot of shows on tv that are kind of just like watch rich people be bad people like that's that's a whole cottage industry right now but like it's it's a it's a pretty good show and it's got did you watch you watch parks and rec right yeah aubrey plaza right yeah she's in it so i mean you get to watch april ludgate being like like in a serious role and like and she's a great actress and like i i liked it it's it's i i do think you'd probably suss out if you want to if you and the wife wanted to watch it within the first episode and you don't need to have seen the first season and i do think the first season was probably better than the second but for you i think the first season would be very much something you don't like but the second season is maybe more in that way but uh as as we have talked about for the past three years you need to watch succession first so none of that applies but for the listeners (laughs) um it's it's solid like yeah it's 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 fine it's in terms of one of those shows that's in the zeitgeist and is very um trendy it's worth watching whereas i you know never gonna watch the red dragon have no interest in watching the rest of us so yeah (laughs) 